All right, then let's go ahead and read the sermon passage. Uh, so, Caitlin, yes? Yeah. Go, Caitlin. Here you go. You get cardstock. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's, well, you know, it's special. Special week. Okay. <coughs> This is Genesis 3:14-24. The Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks for you going. I know she did awesome, didn't she, Salvador? Yeah. One day you'll be up here. Thank you, Caitlin uh, and Salvador. All right. Have you guys remember back in the day... Uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, this book came out and it was a yellow book, big yellow cover, big black letters on the front that said, worst case scenario survival handbook. You remember this thing? And it's filled with all of these short chapters with how to survive really awful things that may happen to you in your life. For instance, how to break down a door, how to land a plane, how to escape from a sinking car, How to survive being buried alive. That sounds awful. How to survive a snake attack. That's fitting for today. Uh, How to fend off a shark. How to escape from killer bees. Uh, How to wrestle free from an alligator. Done that. Uh, How to survive a drone attack. How to survive a privacy breach. Identify fake news. Survive an out of control autonomous car. That's becoming more and more real. Uh, escape from quicksand, purify water, survive an avalanche, and survive if your parachute fails to open. There are a lot of bad things that can happen in this world, right? (laughs) Sheesh. Uh, This is, is this all this world is for? 
is this just kind of a life stinks and then you die kind of situation? Like, is there, we feel internally like I am made for so much more and yet so much of my everyday experience of life is such a slog and such a grind and such a blech. And I'm all the time having to break down doors and escape from killer bees and land out of control, autonomous vehicles and planes. But is this just one giant pale blue dot of entropy that's just eventually going to fizzle out and us with it? The story of Easter and the story that we're walking towards in the next couple of weeks speaks contrary to that assumption speaks contrary to that assumption that every one of us are born into this world believing that it's just me and this world and I've got to break off my chunk. I got to make it. It's going to be my way because there's no other way to go. And if I don't look out for me, who will? But the story of the Bible, the story of humanity, the story of the world, the story of redemption can all be summarized in the story of Easter. And then the next three Sundays and also our Good Friday service uh, on Friday night before Easter, it's going to speak a different story to us. And the opportunity that we have in the next three weeks is to either posture ourselves as learners and listeners and experiencers of that story or to gloss over and to turn off and to just kind of coast through and make the ham and do the family events and hunt some eggs and whatever it is. And then we've missed the story that God is inviting us to involve ourselves in and to speak over us. This is what's really true, even when so much of our experience runs contrary to the fact. As we're ending kind of this first part of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we have a whole bunch more of Genesis that's going to pick up some speed also uh, as we move post-Easter into the summer. But this stops at a really helpful place to tell the story of redemption. Because what you just heard was the result of the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. The worst wrong that has ever been done and the first wrong that was ever done. As Adam and Eve, our first parents looked at God and said, I would rather be away from you than with you. I actually believe that my life will be better away from you than it will be doing what you asked me to do and living in the way that you have made me to live. And as they have now believed that lie, they begin to live into that lie. Now, here's what's especially interesting. Whether this is the first time that you have ever heard those words, or if this is very familiar to you, I want you to take another look. Take another look, especially at how much provision, how much grace, how much kindness of God do you find in this passage? Because my bet is on your first cursory reading, it just sounds like a lot of bad news. But embedded in all of that bad news is this, are these seeds and these kernels of hope. And in the same way that they are embedded in their experience so many years ago, so they are embedded in our experience today. And we have the opportunity now, Lord willing, for our eyes to be open to those. That there is a promised way back to this garden that we all long for. And that, that way back is actually embedded in 
this passage, that there is new life that's possible. But that new life comes through death. So two points this morning, uh, very quickly, as we run to the table together. One, why is the world broken? Two, how's it fixed? Hopefully, pretty simple pathway. Uh, We were on our way to the beach in Lakeland, maybe this is where we used to live, um, and it took about 45 minutes to head west and run into the ocean. And it just so happened, it was one of those days, which is pretty much always the case, there's this giant highway called I-4 that runs all the way east to west from Tampa to Daytona Beach. It is almost, as you can imagine, Disney is also on this same highway. So there is always a ton of traffic that is going back and forth across this place. So we're heading west to the beach. It's a beautiful day. Everybody else apparently wanted to go to the beach that day too. And so it is stop and go traffic all the way just about. Uh, And we're on this massive four-lane interstate. There's eight lanes of stop and go traffic. And so in that moment and in that place, I don't know what it was, if I was just looking down at my phone, changing the Spotify playlist or whatever it was, but I look down and I look back up and the next thing I know, I'm in another guy's bumper. Kids, you remember this? They're still a little traumatized. Uh, and then there was that moment like, oh man, that, that was a big mistake and that all of the adrenaline swells up. We get out, we look at the damage that's done. The guy was so kind, all the damage just about, he had this like old Dodge Ram. This was indestructible. We were in a van that was not indestructible. It was destructible. And, uh, and so we look at the front of mine, his is fine. We look at the front of mine and he's like, I'm not going to call the police. I'm not going to do the insurance thing. This looks like it's mostly you have a great day. Was that grace? I don't, I don't know. Um, and so as I'm looking at my car, you know, the, the front is crushed in. It's going to need some body work. It's going to need the front grill replaced. And it's going to need the radiator, which had been punched by the guy's uh, trailer hitch. It's probably going to need a new one of those too. Because we knew how it broke, it was much easier to know how it was fixed. On the other hand, have you ever had a car problem where it's just this like ghost in the machine kind of situation and you don't know what it is or how it happened, your check engine light kind of goes on and then it goes away and the battery light kind of goes on and then it goes away. That thing can cost you way more thousands of dollars before you can get to the root of what's actually the problem because you don't know how it broke. So it's a lot harder to identify how you fix it. In this scenario, in this case, we know how things broke. We are given a picture and a glimpse of how this world broke. And because we know how it broke, we can also begin to backpedal that and know how it's fixed. Because the story that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 paints is this man and this woman who are placed in this beautiful garden where they are made to subdue and fill and rule and enjoy this lavishness that God has given them and continue to expand the glory of God through imaging him in mankind further and further and further out across the globe. And then the story that we drop ourselves into today is when that begins to go wrong. When the opportunity to follow God becomes also an opportunity to walk away from him. And he says, there's one thing you can't do. That one thing is 
essentially, in a nutshell, you're going to try to be like me if you do this thing. You will know good and evil where good and evil was already meant to be known, but it was meant to be known in their resistance from it, not in their enjoyment of it. And yet they do learn good and evil, but they learn good and evil by choosing the evil instead of resisting it. And the story in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 paints the picture of this God who is a life giver. Uh, the God who is light before there is a sun or a moon. The God who forms Adam and Eve and you and I out of dust and breathes life into them. He is the life giver in every way. He is the one who provides all the trees, all the birds, all the animals, provides every good thing that there is to enjoy in this world. And the offering of that is given to Adam and Eve here in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But then doesn't it square that also if he is the giver of life, then to walk away from him means you're walking away from life. You're walking away from light. You're walking away from truth because he is the originator of the whole thing. And then you see in these curses here that God begins to describe because you're walking away from life, this is what life is going to feel like now. It's going to feel a lot more like death. In fact, there's going to be actual death that you will now experience. Uh, In the same way that you were meant to rule over all creatures, now a snake has ruled over you. As you were made husband and wife to be in this beautiful communion together of self-giving and self-loving and other-centered charity, now you will use and abuse one another. Now the beauty of childbearing, which was part of the initial joy of the creation, was to fill the earth, now becomes something filled with pain and sorrow and even death. Now the joy of cultivating, working well with your hands now becomes something that you just cannot wait for Friday and you feel awful when Monday morning rolls around again. And this opportunity for eternal life now turns into death. All of the good promises that were held out, given to us by our creator, then begin to reverse Because in the same way as we were made to rule, now creation rules over us. The script has been flipped. Now, every one of us is also born with this assumption. If there is a God, and maybe there is, and if it's true that I got into this mess and my people got into this mess by walking away from him, then I guess the way that I get back into his good graces is by walking my way back towards him. That would make some sense. And so this is super common in every world religion. This is common in our day today. This is common in my story that if I can just be good enough, God will accept me. If I can just do right, if I can just do better, then everything will be okay. There's a word for this. That word is works righteousness. And what that word means is 
you and I naturally believe that what I do will be able to work my way towards God and work my way towards flourishing and work my way away from sin and death and pain and sorrow. And we do this all the time in all kinds of ways. And so we can have approval righteousness where as long as you think I'm okay, then I feel okay. I can have job righteousness where as long as my job is going okay and I'm humming and killing it over here, then every part of my life feels like it's in its right place. You can have uh, political or ideological righteousness that because I believe this right thing, nobody can touch me. You can have good guy or good girl righteousness where as long as I'm being good, then I can feel good about myself. You can have driving righteousness. I don't think I have to describe that one. You can, I have this one. I have a lot of these. Uh, You can have flexibility righteousness. Like, why can't everybody just like chill? Like, why do you got to be so uptight? Why does everybody have to be on time all the time? Wouldn't it just be better if you just kind of do what you want when you want? If I parent my kids well, they will turn out well. If I take care of myself in my health and in my fitness and in my eating right, I will avoid sickness, growing older, and death. If I just do good enough, I will go to heaven. But if you look back at verse 24, the problem is bigger than that. Because verse 24 says, he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword to guard every way. Whatever in the world that means. What we do know is this describes that there is no way for us to walk back to God as long as since evil is what cast us out, our knowledge of evil and doing of evil, as long as we have any kind of knowledge of or doing of evil in and of ourselves, we will not be able to walk back towards him. There has to be another way. There has to be a better way. If that's why the world is broken, that's naturally what we want to do with that brokenness is try to muscle it into something good. And we come up failing time and time and time again. We come up disappointed time and time and time again. Does there, is there, will there be a better way? Also embedded, even before all the bad news of all the things that you and I now experience in this broken world, Genesis 3.15, almost the very first thing that Caitlin got up here and said. Do you see it? I think we have it up on the screen. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Because we know how the world was broken, One man brought sin into the world. So now we can know how it can be fixed. One man will bring sin out of it. Up there, you see this description that feels a little cryptic. So let's spend a minute and pull it apart. 
He's talking, this is God talking to the serpent, talking to Satan, the tempter, the accuser. And he's saying that there is now going to be a conflict between you and humanity. And there will be this constant tension and humanity, you will have some amount of sway and humanity will be pulled away and tempted in all kinds of ways. They will be accused and they will listen and they will live these works righteousness lives where they believe they can do it on their own. But he shall bruise your head. Your offspring, that word offspring is singular. That means your one child. And then it's given a pronoun. He, that one child, will bruise your head, Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. What's a deadlier blow? A crush to the head or a shot to the heel? So he is saying in this very cryptic way, all the way back, the third chapter of the Bible, there is already a pointing forward in an amazingly specific way about how this redemption would come and it would ultimately come in what we are now moving towards and celebrating in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. He is the he who is the one who can bring sin out of the world. And how will he bring sin out of the world? He will wear it on his own shoulders. He will bear the cross. He will despise the shame. He will feel the loss of every bit of our sin. And not only yours individually, but every one of his people, he will feel it on his shoulders. Imagine how awful you feel when you recognize something you've done and multiply that by every person who he has called his son or daughter over the history of redemption. He bears our sin on his shoulders and he lives this perfect life because only one without evil, only one without sin can plow their way back and have access again to this full, beautiful relationship with God that we find in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And he is the one who has done it. And through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, now we have a path that we can come back to God but it's not because you or I are great. It's not because you or I are killing it. It's not because you or I sinned less this week than we did last week. It's because the cross is big. And the cross invites anyone and everyone to come to him. And so what we find in all of this, in the pattern and the way that the promise is spoken before all the curses are, that the promise that Satan will be banished and crushed and the promise that there is redemption coming through one man and that man is Jesus, all of that preloaded all the bad things in yours and my experience of life. So now we can begin to take those bad things that you and I experience in all of our daily life and as we come to this table, we can say, as true as this is, if it really is true that Jesus fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life for me, died an atoning death in my place and is resurrected to new life, beating death at its own game. If that's true, then whatever wrong, whatever sorrow, whatever death you are experiencing is also being made untrue by the same cross that made Jesus' death untrue. And you and I now have a new way to hope. 
to bring every one of those messes, to bring everything that we are and the mess that we are to Jesus again and again and again because there is so much grace for sinners like us. So look at, look at how Adam responds. He hears all this bad news. He hears there's gonna be, yeah, there's gonna be uh, very hard. There's gonna be hard work. There's gonna be hard uh, labor for children. There's gonna be death that I'm now gonna experience. There's gonna be some amount of sin and temptation and accusation I'm still going to experience in this world. But verse 20, this man called his wife's name. This is after all the bad news. This man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. By faith in all of the bad news that he saw coming down at him, he also saw that I am naming this one woman through whom sin came into the world. I am also believing by faith that new life is possible out of her, that new life is possible out of this world, that yours and my experience of all of the blah of all of life is not all there is. And like flowers popping up through a crack in the sidewalk, now when we see those little glimmers of hope in our life, they're all the more beautiful and all the more true that everything sad is coming untrue. So I was sitting outside yesterday, beautiful weekend, by the way, holy moly. We have not, being from Florida, it feels like eternal resurrection. <laughs> and being here has been like eternal death at least in the winter months. But getting to enjoy this past weekend has, has been like this new little taste. And I think there was a part of the good news of Jesus that I was missing out on living in Florida because there is a lot of bad news that we experience in the six to eight months of super coldness around here. And I was, what'd I say? Eight months? <laughs> Seriously, sorry. Okay, I'm just bringing everybody into all the bad news. Um, but I was sitting at my table and I was looking at these flowers that I thought Sarah bought from Home Depot or something. And she goes, you know, I planted those like pre-winter. Knowing that they were going to take like nine months to flower. That's hope. That's more hope than I got. But now you and I have this opportunity to plant these seeds of hope in all of those parts of our lives that just look dead. That we can in new ways plant those things in the ground and trust in the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead to raise those things from the dead too. So what do you make, uh, what do you want Jesus to make new for you right now? What is a place of deadness and darkness, of sin or sorrow or pain? If it's a character trait, if it's a situation, uh, if it's a, a relationship, what is a place right now that you long for Jesus to make new? We are now experientially going to live that hope out.
And we're going to do that in two ways, maybe three. The first is there's a card under your chair. You can go ahead and locate that card now all at once because it'll be commotion for a minute. So on this card, you can have, uh, take an opportunity for those of you who are tactile learners, which I think in some ways all of us, that our practices, what we do with our bodies, because we are whole people, uh, created body, soul, spirit, that there is a, uh, there's something good about us doing things um, with ourselves that help to drill this truth more into us. So on this card, uh, you'll have an opportunity to write down what is one thing, or it could be multiple, that you long to see Jesus make new. What is one thing, or many, that you long to see Jesus make new? And write that on your card. Uh, we'll take a, a moment, not right now. We'll take a moment to do that as you uh, prepare to come to the table. Then as you... As you come up for communion, by the way, this is not a normal Sunday that we do communion, uh, but it felt like to complete the experience that we need, especially on a Sunday like this filled with so much bad news, and in a week like yours and many of ours where there's been filled with so much bad news, we need to be reminded that there's hope. And there's two primary ways that the Lord gives his church to do that experientially. One of those is baptism, and the other is coming to take communion with Jesus. And as he says, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so as we're posturing ourselves to remember his perfect life and his atoning death and his glorious resurrection, that we are more and more being conformed to that is actually true and that can actually be my story too. After that, carry these things with you. Either before or after you take communion, I'd invite you to roll these things up no, how do you want to do this? Should we roll them or should we just put them at the bottom? Think they'll fit? Roll, great. Roll these up. Tight roll, just like the pants in the 80s. They're coming back, I'm sure. Uh, you're going to tight roll this and put it in the cross as just another opportunity to say, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm desiring new life to be made here, and I'm also recognizing I can't do this by myself. And so here that is. And we're going to have the same opportunity next week. If you can't think of anything this week or if something new comes up, uh, or if anybody who didn't make it this week will have another opportunity uh, to do that next week, and then that'll culminate together uh, in our celebration of resurrection on Easter Sunday, okay? So then a couple of things uh, that we need to consider in and of ourselves as we come to the table. And I say ourselves because I need to ask myself these same questions, as do all of you. Because Paul says when he's talking about how we should handle communion, how we should, should handle coming and being reminded of his life, death, and resurrection, he says, you, you've got to deal with you. You've got to discern for yourself, do I really believe this? 
Not do I believe it perfectly. Jesus says face like a mustard seed, but do you have that mustard seed? Is there a kernel of faith that you are holding on to that I, I long for this to be true? And if that is true of you, if you have said, I cannot do my life on my own, I do recognize all of the brokenness that I bring to the table and I need Jesus to live a perfect life for me because I cannot make it back to God without him. I need Jesus to carry my sin and shame on his shoulders because I cannot carry it, it's so heavy. And I need Jesus to bring resurrection. If those things are true of you, this is your table. And you can eat and you can drink and you can more and more uh, be, uh, take courage in the fact that this story that happened so many years ago is also your story. It's also an opportunity to reflect on where are, the pla- are there any places of sin for me that I am just holding on to and white knuckling? Is there anything, and this could be a bitterness in a relationship, this could be something just internal to you, uh, whatever this may be, if there is anything, it's an opportunity to say, is there anything that if the Lord asked me to let it go, I would say no. Let the mercy of this table that is being communicated drive you to let that thing go. And then the next time communion happens, then run to this table and drink deeply of his mercy and grace. If those things are true of you, I invite you to come. Uh, What we'll do is, uh, like I said, you'll have an opportunity to come up and there'll be a number of lines that will uh, come up. You'll kneel, have the opportunity uh, to take a moment and pray for yourself or your family. If you'd like for someone to pray with you, uh, you can cross your arms up here. And then we also have another new offering uh, for to help us in all of ourself, uh, body included, to posture ourselves uh, of the recognition of our need and grace of Jesus. And so back there in the back, our, we've got a prayer team uh, that has been uh, doing a, a just incredible job over the past year praying for you. Uh, praying for each chair in this room every Sunday morning, praying for the needs of our congregation. So I invite you, if there is anything that you would like prayer for, uh, then you can come back to the back. You can meet a couple of our prayer team members and they can pray over you. Or if you would just like a space to linger a little bit more in prayer, maybe over whatever you're writing on this card or anything else going on, if you would like a space to do that that has a little bit of privacy uh, but also some other people who can come around you, I invite you to take uh, and enjoy that space. And that will also be available the next few Sundays. So as you come forward, um, there will be an opportunity for a gluten-free option, which I believe is over this way. And, um, and then you can collectively take a moment Take the elements and then head back to your seats or back to the prayer corner uh, or to the cross for this. So on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, uh, this is my body broken for you as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant, new promise, new way to be made right. And because Jesus has paved that way, you and I can now walk it today. And so the invitation is before you. Lay yourself, all your needs, he loves every one of them, at his feet and feast on his grace. Let's pray. So Father, we ask 
that you would capture our hearts in a new way. That you would capture our hearts in a fresh way, Holy Spirit. There's so much that we bring into this room that we are all so burdened by because, and that's not a surprise to you. That's actually something that you say is going to happen. But we so often want to carry those burdens by ourselves. We so often want to believe that you are bad or wrong because you've given them to us. Uh, We so often want to believe that we're alone. But I pray in these moments together, as we collectively encourage one another, as we stand alongside one another, kneel alongside one another saying, this same grace that you need, I need it too. And these are all the reasons for me, what are all yours? That you would do something in this moment with this group in this place by the power of your spirit to meet us in a unique way. Do that for your glory, by your grace. In Christ we pray, amen.